Welcome in to Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, ready to rip it up. Here in Cincinnati, 2022 NFL Draft Position Group Rankings. Mike came out with his top 100 2022 NFL Draft Boards, and we're going to break down the best positions in this upcoming draft class. We're also going to do a little trivia at the back end of the show. Make sure to tune in for that. We also have interviews with Michigan State Head Coach Mel Tucker and Wake Forest Head Coach Dave Claussen. Let's get it. Puppy day or dog day? Dog day. National Puppy dog Puppy probably day. has its own day too, though. Yeah, they, they, everything has a day nowadays. Every dog has its day. Okay. Wow. Wow. No. I liked that. No, wow. I National that. Dog Day in honor. Yeah. You have a fantastic – This no puke story. in the sink. There's something else going on here. Yeah, though. this one in, in honor of us going back to Champagne this week is where the, the crime occurred. Crime and eh, maybe crime. Uh, I was – my buddy in college who – it was actually my buddy from high school. He went to the U of I. I went to Notre Dame. Uh, I'm visiting U of I for the weekend, staying at their place. He had just gotten a wiener dog. Mm. So it's like a puppy still. It's pretty like six months old at this point. Um, and so there's puppy pads all over his place. Um, and it's me and his roommate who are at his place. And he had left for, uh, he was at go to track practice. He ran track at the U of I. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to take a shit on his puppy pad and tell him the dog did it. <laughs> Wait, uh, not even like, you didn't even have to poop? You were just no, like, gonna... I mean, I kind of did, but I was like, should I do it on the puppy pad? Like, and tell him that. How old were you? This, uh, I don't know, probably junior year of college. Okay. Uh, probably 20, 21. Um, and he's like, you really like want to take a shit? I'm like, dude, that'd be hilarious. So we could just like, <laughs> and this was like right when camera phones coming out. So, um, <laughs> right when camera phones like, are right when out. like you can send a picture uh, over text, whatever. And so I go into his room and uh, where his dog, Johnson, is. And, I take a shit on the and it's like a, a monster. Yeah, it's like a a movie scene shit oh, where it's like perfectly God. sized. And until you've smelled a poop outside perfectly of a toilet, sized. you have no clue. My buddy walks in after I do it and falls to the ground, like hits his knees because he's <laughs> laughing so hard. And we take a picture of it, send it to him. We're like, dude, we won't believe the size of the shit that Johnson just took. <laughs> and he's like, what that? He, what did he eat? We're like, oh, we've just been like feeding him, I don't know, whatever, dog treats all day. And he just, he shit. And he comes back, walks into his room, and immediately screams out, that wasn't my fucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up having to pick it up. Uh, and I actually had to put it into a toilet, which was an awful experience in its own right. You couldn't so just I, throw away the puppy pad? Uh Actually, that would have been smarter in retrospect. <laughs> Why didn't you just I mean, I didn't pick it up with like another puppy pet, but yeah, and so that's uh, you not our national dog day. The poop off another with another puppy pad rather than so. just throwing away the. I can't remember puppy exactly pad? how I picked up the poop, but then I put it in a toilet, and it was it was pretty tough. But that's a fantastic was, story. Have you ever done any puppy pad defiling since? No, that's that You're was due. the end of my. That was that's it. I've only toilets ever since then. In our return to Champagne, maybe we can identify some puppy pads we are going to nebraska at illinois champaign illinois the tailgate tour starts kickoff week zero in champaign illinois make sure to hit us up if you are going to be out there we're going to be tailgating with the fellows let's catch an early buzz here teddy bridgewater versus drew Locke. teddy bridgewater officially named the starter by vic fangio i think a lot of people were surprised by this i think a lot of people thought that drew Locke. Yes, i was i, I was I, I was surprised drew Locke. i thought did enough to earn the job and my take is again that's not why I'm surprised. But oh, wait, really? I didn't think you did enough to earn the job. I just thought that your 
they were committed to Drew Locke when they didn't draft a quarterback. But I mean, they traded for Teddy Bridgewater. Made it was it such a, I mean, it was such a low stakes trade. What he's costing them four million dollars against the cap. It was what was it a fifth, sixth mm-hmm. round? Like it was not much of an investment to get Teddy Bridgewater. But the bar for me was if Drew Locke showed any shines of life to give him the nod because you have a higher ceiling yeah. with Drew Locke. He's a younger quarterback on a rookie contract, still developing. And I mean, I think why, why even, why pass on Justin Fields? Why not get more aggressive at upgrading the position if you're not even going to give well, Drew Locke after showing signs of life? Like it just doesn't make a ton well, of sense. Well, you pass on Justin Fields because the cornerbacks are more rare. Is oh, what, that's uh, right. George Patton I said. forgot George Patton said the quarterbacks more. Regardless, my take on the situation is I thought Drew Locke did enough, showed some signs of life in the preseason to give him another swing of the bat rather than playing into this high floor known ceiling that is Teddy Bridgewater that at best, and I tweeted this, at best is going to do a shallow postseason run, you know, wild card berth with maybe maybe a playoff win, but also going to keep you from drafting a legitimate, you know, one of the top two, top three quarterbacks in this class. Like that's that's what's going to happen now. You are caught in purgatory and going mm-hmm. to be forcing yourself into a Keaton Slovis at the back end of the first. You know, that that's that's not where you Don't want to be. I'm not, I'm not downing <laughs> Slovis, but I'm saying yeah. the projected number one overall picks right now are top picks are Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler, I think Malik Willis, Carson Strong. You could force yourself into a situation where you're not making a legitimate or significant upgrade at the quarterback position. Um, so for, I think they should have gone with Drew Locke. So for context, this preseason, Teddy Bridgewater, 19 dropbacks, 78.2 passing grade. Drew Locke, 24 dropbacks. 62.1 passing grade. So in the games, Bridgewater has been better. Now that's that's like half a game's worth of dropbacks. That that they're basing that off of obviously practice and how they did there, meeting rooms, whatever, dictates far more of this decision than anything. And I agree with you. Uh, in a sort of in this world in the world that we live in, where it's this theoretical, we're trying to either win a championship or draft highly, win a championship, draft highly, that you keep saying, you don't want to be, you don't want to, you don't want to start the bridge quarterback. You don't want to start the Bridgewater no. because that puts you in the purgatory draft spot between, you know, 10 and 20 in the draft. That's where you don't want to be drafting every year. But in real life, where Vic Fangio is on the hot seat, as much as we don't think he should be, yeah, yeah. is on the hot seat there in Denver, he has to win games. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, just getting to the playoffs keeps him his job. Getting close to the playoffs keeps him his job. Drew Locke crashing and burning mm-hmm. feasibly does not keep him his job. Like and that, that's, think- that's how you lose your job if you're Vic Fangio. So from that perspective, this is not a surprising decision in my opinion. I, I think this what this tells me is that ownership has told Fangio, play the guy that's going to win you the most games because you're on the fucking, you know, you're yeah. on the seat. And then if, yep, if yep, it's so. Fangio's decision, he's going to go with Teddy Bridgewater because I do think it raises the floor of this football team. And I think they maybe will be more competitive with Teddy Bridgewater. Understand The problem is, is just it just shows gross incompetence by those making the, t- the decisions from a roster perspective, like putting Drew Locke in this position, passing on Justin Fields, trading for Teddy Bridgewater. That is the error. Not Fangio picking Bridgewater over Drew Locke. The error is the situation that he's in. And I think when I tweet, you know, you bring up what I tweeted, the worst quarterback in the NFL is a bridge quarterback because it doesn't give you that opportunity to develop that rookie quarterback on a rookie contract. Not a rookie quarterback, but a, co- a quarterback on a rookie contract. And it's going to keep you from drafting the next one. I mean, and it matters. You know, some people make the comparison to the NBA because a lot of people bring up don't be in purgatory in the NBA. You want to be in the lottery or competing for championships. But I would argue, given the severity 
of positional value in the NFL mm -hmm. that it's even more important not to be in purgatory in the NFL because quarterback is everything. And if you're not drafting inside the top three, top five, you're not going to be getting the prospect under center. But again, so the purgatory falls on the GM. That is not the, the head coach's job is to maximize every yes. single win, every single time you possibly can. It is not his job with what he has been dealt. It is not his job to make sure kind of what I just alluded to that you either stink or that you're having the guy, mm -hmm. the high variance quarterback, whatever the fact that they're in. So, the, so yeah. sure. So trading for Bridgewater in the first place or last year, the Panthers signing Bridgewater in the first place is the, that falls on the GM. The fact that then you're starting him to try to win the most games. That's your best bet at this point, because again, Drew Locke, nothing we've seen from him the first two years suggested he was that guy other than, mm -hmm. Oh, Josh Allen just did it. But you know, Locke was a second round pick. He was not a first round. Every single team passed on him. He was not good his first two years. <laughs> He's not that level of athlete that Josh Allen is. So there's a lot of sort of signs pointing to the fact that no leap is incoming here for Drew Locke. So, yeah, play the best guy. I have one more comment on this before we jump to some other early buzz here, but I think it has to be said. When we talk about Teddy Bridgewater's known ceiling, you know, in the four seasons that he's played more than 200 dropbacks, he has never earned a grade above 75.6, and that came in his rookie season in 2014. He's also never had more than 17 big-time throws in a single season, never a big-time throw rate over 3.4%. He is a, a very conservative, low-average depth-of-target type of passer. And when you look at uh, – I'm going to shout out – Alex one, Smith. He's Alex Smith. He's Alex Smith, one, one of our football research interns, uh, Tej Seth. No quarterback over the past two seasons has had a higher expected accuracy percentage than Teddy B. How do you get that? Not throwing the ball downfield and throwing to wide-open receivers. He's had that benefit, but again, he does not lift the ceiling of this offense. I think he's a low floor or high floor, low ceiling position. I think they should have started Drew Locke just to see what he had. I mean, there's yeah. more there's more unknown with Drew Locke. He could take a leap forward. He could you know raise the ceiling of this offense, but instead they start Teddy B and really just punch their ticket into purgatory you there know, in Denver. You know who I feel for right now? Drew Locke's mom. She's been through enough here with all this shade you throw it's true. away. She's, she's really reeling at this point. For those who don't know who aren't, Frequent listeners of Tailgate, we did a uh, we did some some piece of content where I said not even Drew Locke's mom drafts him that highly or something like that, and then someone wrote an article, a legitimate <laughs> article, that said PFF throws shade at Drew Locke and his mom. Someone legitimate, like someone was, was I hope paid to write an yeah, article that wrote because it was it was after the ESPN was like starting a franchise who you draft in and the Denver beat reporter drafted Drew Locke like 14th mm -hmm. in that. Oh, that's right. That's right. Is that's what right. it was. And you said not even Drew Locke's mom would draft him that. I, I, I stand by that. I mean, not even the Denver Broncos would draft him that highly. <laughs> I mean, that's where we're at currently. Yeah. All right. Next thing on the early buzz, Sony Michelle traded for a fifth and sixth round pick to the Los Angeles Rams. From the Rams' perspective, it's a very low-risk move. They obviously lost Cam Akers for the season with a ruptured Achilles. And then even Daryl Henderson, I think, is battling some injuries as well. So they're looking for health, honestly, at the running back position. I don't think Sonny Michelle is all that great of a talent, as evidenced by what they traded for him, a fifth- and sixth-round pick. I think the bigger magnifying glass goes back to the Patriots, back to Bill Belichick, and just the absurd drafting that they've had over the past few years. I mean, they have not gotten quality players out of their top 50, top 70 selections in the last you know five, six years. They have not done a good job drafting, and Sonny Michel is just another factor of that. And I remember when, they, when Belichick drafted him, it was right in like the peak of the running backs don't matter era yeah. in analytics and in football, and said, oh, you guys are saying you know more than Bill Belichick? This was a bad decision. It was a bad decision then. This isn't hindsight analysis, and I don't care about his rookie preseason or postseason run where he averaged like 4.3 yards per carry. Like, I don't care. Like, 
This was not a good use of resource. You just trade a first round pick for a fifth and sixth round pick. That's not a good use of resource. You need to attack high value positions. Again, this is not rocket science. I'd almost consider it just a very simple approach, a very simple data-driven approach to investing you know, top 50 selections. Yeah. Um, I mean, we set up time. We don't have to beat the dead horse about running backs or whatever, but if you're going to draft one of the running backs, even in that, if you're, if, you're, if you're looking at those two, or if you're looking at that draft, looking at running backs, Nick Chubb went five picks later. Four picks later, excuse me, not even. That's that's where you that, like the, that was the guy in that class. After um, obviously, who was the first back off the board in that one? Rashad Saquon, Penny after Saquon. Sorry. Oh, sorry. after Saquon, it was Nick Chubb. That was the guy. And so, then Rashad Penny, Rashad. and then Sonny Michelle, and then Nick Chubb at the top of the second. But like the the whole he won them a Super Bowl, whatever. That defense won them a Super Bowl. That they, they were they leave, they gave up three points in the in the Super Bowl. They only scored thirteen. I, I don't I don't care who you are offensively, you didn't contribute if you only scored thirteen points, you were not the reason you won that game in the Super Bowl. Last piece on this. You bring up the Nick Chubb thing. If you're gonna draft a running back in that class, you know, draft Nick Chubb at that spot. Philip Lindsay and Gus Edwards went fucking undrafted, bro. And you could argue they've been more productive than Philip or than Sony Michelle. That's why you don't draft. Sonny Michelle in that spot. It's not because you could have gotten Nick Chubb. It's because, dude, this position is one where you can get talented yeah. players later for low cost and free agency or later in the draft, if not undrafted. So that is continues to be the case um, in the NFL. Last piece of the early buzz, Mac Jones, according to the Patriots beat, I think specifically Koran uh, for NBC Sports, thinks Mac Jones has won this job. You have you know Cam Newton now in COVID protocols. You see that report that the Patriots are quote-unquote frustrated with Newton in that situation that's unfolding. One, has Mac Jones done enough this preseason to warrant the, no the nod in New England? And two, if he does start 17 games, that has not been a situation we've talked about a ton. How good is this Patriots football team? Ooh, I still think they're – no, he's, he's, not, he's not run with one yet. He, but he has looked about as good as any rookie preseason quarterback since Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott obviously ends up starting week one and wins rookie of the year is exceptional right out the gate. So I, I do think that – He's done more, not, not just enough, he's done more than enough. He's, I would start him. That's what, I would start him right now over Cam Newton if I am Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. Now, cool graphic. Now he knows Social's more than us. On you. Now he knows more than us. He does. But with Cam Newton being out and Mac Jones, again, light, comes in, lights it up with the ones apparently on Wednesday in practice, it's, it's difficult for me to not put him out there. When you, like I said, that's your franchise. There's nothing... I say you don't start quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks, when they're going to develop bad habits by playing, when you're going to either get them killed behind a bad offensive line or with the speed of the game's not there or if you like change their mechanics, when like throwing them out there would do them more harm than good because not all reps are good reps. Just getting reps doesn't necessarily make you better. Sometimes it can make you worse uh, if you're practicing the wrong things. That's not the case with Mac Jones from what we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. So I, I think throw him out there for sure, 100%. Now, does that... Does Cam Newton maybe offer more upside with that offense? Is that offense, was it built more for Cam Newton? I think a little, like his running ability. I would argue that yes. offensive line, yes, I think it was. They built it with him in mind, I think, this offseason. But Mac Jones looked damn good, man. Like that, that, I do think he ends up starting week one. And I was talking about this on a radio hit today in Orlando, shout out Orlando, and they were comparing the situation to Justin Fields in Chicago and Trey Lance in San Francisco. I think the New England Patriots are in a unique position 
to start a rookie quarterback week one, not so much because Mac Jones has looked good in the preseason against second, third stringers, but it's because yeah. they have a top three offensive line. Like they, this is going to be a legitimate yeah. front five in front of him that's not going to put him in a body bag every single week. Justin Fields is going to play behind a bottom five offensive line. Yes. Even San Francisco, Mike McGlinchey has not looked well. They obviously have Trent Williams, but I'm, not, I'm less worried about the offensive line as much as I am worried about Trey Lance and him not playing football for you know only that Central Arkansas game since 2019. I think that has been bigger concerns for Lance. He obviously looks out of schedule or off schedule on some of the throws there in San Francisco has taken a lot of sacks, et cetera. But I think the Mac Jones situation is very unique to, you can't modify unique. Can't modify it's, unique. it's unique to, I don't even know what I'm saying now. You've just crushed me. You've at least corrected yourself. I, I'll take it. But Mac Jones is going to play behind a good offensive line. Justin Fields isn't. And I almost feel like I'd rather start Andy Dalton just so you avoid yes. Fields getting blasted. No, I agree. I, I think of those three that aren't penciled in, penned in to start, now that Trevor Lawrence is officially the start. That's right. End of an era. I would only start Mac Jones. I, I think the other two, you just risk developing bad habits. Like you just risk them not being ready. And I think that's one of your better takes in a while. So. Like risking developing bad habits. Like you can still develop, obviously, with the experience you have as a rookie quarterback when yeah. you start early. But you can develop a tro- and some of those habits could be just fear and lack of confidence. Like you could develop yeah. a habit of just not of yes. thinking on the football field and, and you can even lose stuff. your confidence. Like yeah. your confidence can go if you're playing and you're playing shit when you've your entire life. That's the thing. Like, these guys, their entire life have been sick. Only played good football. You know, like, they have only played good football and dominated the competition. All of a sudden, you come in, and it's like the, a lot of those high school NBA players when they first come to the NBA yeah. back in the day. A lot of them couldn't hack it because they're all of a sudden the worst guy in the basketball court when they were the best their entire career. So, maybe that's why I'm a little worried about Trevor Lawrence. Maybe, no. maybe that's why I'm a little worried I'm not about Trevor, worried Lawrence. At all about I'm Trevor Lawrence. I'm just kidding. I'll just also say, add this caveat to the Mac Jones conversation. Daniel Jones, his first preseason, went 29 of 34. Four and 16 yards, two touchdowns. Had, uh, I think, fifth highest graded preseason we've seen from a rookie. Blake Bortles. The victory laps after Daniel Blake Jones. Blake Bortles had pre-season. the third highest graded preseason as a rookie. So, take, take that what you want. I, I love the Daniel Jones data because after the preseason, he had one of the best preseasons we've ever seen from a rookie yeah. quarterback. And then he had that game against Tampa Bay where he's still, to this day, had the highest single game grade we've ever seen from a quarterback under pressure. <laughs> And like, it was insane. It was insane. And, but the victory laps that were ran, run, yeah. after that was just absurd. I mean, everyone, massive, massive overreaction to some very volatile data, preseason data, volatile, under-pressure data, volatile, all that stuff. Well, I mean, it was like people were crowning themselves, people were crowning Mariota, you know, like yeah, two right. years into his career. You got to crown them. I said crown them. People were saying, oh, yeah, Mariota over Winston knew it all along. Well, it turns out neither of them, but it's just – this is an ever-evolving process evaluation. That's why sample size we preach at quarterback because you just <laughs> need to see guys more to know how they'll fare. All right. Before we get into the top 100 big board and start looking at some of the schools that are most, you know, most represented in your top 100 big board and also some position rankings, have to say this. The NFL is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for week one. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly. No matter what, take advantage of this limited-time offer now. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the greatest promotions and daily odds boost. Plus, you can't 
you can make every game a big game with the same game parlays. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place one, a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code PFF to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana. 1-800-9 with it. Whoo! Going to be placing some bets as we drive through Indiana on our way to Champaign. Yes, we will. I found out also that online betting, you're not allowed to bet on Illinois teams in Illinois. In Illinois, yeah. That's insane. Either way, in Indiana, I'm going to be smashing our Illini plus seven and the plus 205, even though everyone I've talked to has said it's not. <laughs> it's going to be – it could be bad news bears for the, Illinois, uh, the Illini, but we'll see. I'm sticking to my guy, Bielema. I think the last game I went to – in Memorial Stadium, they won. I went to Good Illinois, luck. Wisconsin in 2008, maybe. Juice Williams, when Juice Williams was at his peak, maybe 20, 2009. Uh, man, that was a tough one. Beat Wisconsin. Got the Wisconsin shirt on. They beat him. You love to see it. Yeah. You love to see it. But I also went when Brian Calhoun scored like six touchdowns on him. That was a sick one. Maybe like 04, 05. All right, let's go over this big board here. You dropped the top 100 big board for the 2022 NFL Draft. You previously had the top 50. You now have the full 100. Yes, sir. Biggest takeaways from this. You can go to pff.com and check this out. Just type in into Google PFF draft board, 2022 draft board. You'll find it pretty quickly. Biggest takeaways from putting this together and then also jump into the schools that were most represented. Yes. Biggest takeaways is that. I have one. It kind of flipped from last year. Last year, everyone's pumping offenses, tires. Didn't have a defensive player. How do I say defensive? Defensive player until week eight pick eight um this year's gonna be different this year is defense is loaded corner edge safety talented class very talented that was my first biggest takeaway what's yours my biggest takeaway is that we've talked a ton about the cornerback group you know, yeah. Kyrie Elam Trent McDuffie Derek Stingley Jr. Ahmad Gardner it is a very talented cornerback group I'll extend it out to this this defensive back group, include the safeties, is yeah. rare. You Sick. you you include corners and safeties. There are a lot. There is so much talent. Brandon Joseph, um, obviously Kyle Hamilton in the safety group as well. Noah Daniels. I mean, like there is so much talent in the secondary in this draft class that I think a lot of teams are going to be jumping at the chomping at the bit to improve their secondaries with some of these kids. And I think it's going to be a really fun season because of it because you have yeah. so much talent on the back end. I was telling. Text with Dame, I didn't even bring Dame, up Jordan Battle, Dame, Josh Job, Dame Brugler today. I'm like, there's, there's probably like a half dozen five nine defensive backs that just play like dogs, like the Amik Robertsons of yeah, the yeah, world. Yeah. There's like a ton of them in this class, guys that just are fearless, undersized, but just attack downhill every single play. So those are, it's it's going to be a, a hashtag fun to watch defensive back group for sure. Hashtag fun to watch. You know who I saw a tweet fun to watch recently? No. Sam Monson. Classic. <laughs> let me see. Let me find this tweet. Fun. Talk about fun to read. I think, who did he call fun to watch? I can't remember. I'm going to scroll through here and bear with me. I think it was recent. I'm still waiting for that. I'm still waiting for, I've seen a few. Remember when I declared. Oh, the Dan Campbell thing. Remember when I declared kneecap jokes dead? I've seen a few from PFFers. Not going to name names, but the joke was dead in maybe February. No, it was dead. It was dead literally the day after he said it. Yeah. So we're going to need to clean that up, PFFers. No more kneecap jokes. If I see it, we're going to start policing it. Jordan Love. 
The high-end plays from Jordan Love are so fun to watch from Sam Monson. <laughs> he also tweeted it on August 20th. Jared Patterson is fun to watch run the football. <laughs> that is incredible. He's done those in the last, like, month. Shout out Sam Monson for tweeting out our favorite phrase. Yeah. Hashtag fun, fun to, to watch. watch. All right. Um, position group strengths. We just raved about the backfield, the, yes, the secondary, the corners, the safeties. Yeah. Let's rank these groups. Let's rank them. All right. Top O of the class, cornerbacks. Yes. We got 14 cornerbacks in the top 100. That's a lot. And that's that's a needed, much needed for where the game has been trending. You got Derek Stingley at number two overall, the LSU cornerback. Kyrie Elam, Florida, number nine. Trent McDuffie, Washington, 13. Ahmad Gardner, Cincinnati, 21. For the top 25, you got a bunch more here. Noah Daniels, TCU, Martin Emerson, Mississippi State, Andrew Booth, Clemson, Michael Wright, Oregon. There's just a lot of talent up and down. I'm trying to think, are there anyone, any team with two in the top? No, no no real dominant cornerback tandem out there, although Eli Still, Ricks for LSU yeah. is pretty damn good next year. But it is a cornerback group is going to be exceptional. After that, we have, so we were already about that, but it's going to be another, in my opinion, strong offense stack class. I really like the talent this offense stack class. We've raved about Evan Neal from Alabama, Jackson Kirkland from Washington, um, Kenyon Green. Green from Texas A&M. Like, those are the three guys who are, depending on where you're looking, that's probably going to be the top three pretty much everywhere. Ohio State, who I mentioned, has two of our top 60 guys on the offensive tackle. Now, Thayer Munford may be playing guard this year, but they have a very strong offensive tackle group with Nick, Nicholas Petit-Frere. Um, and then I think just, that's got to be pronounced more French. Yeah. Nicolas Petit Frere. Well, good luck. I think that's Give nice. A, did you like that? I did. I'm not an accent guy. I got uh, a Wisconsin accent, which doesn't translate. Accent. Doesn't translate Sorry. to many other, many other cultures. The one I'll highlight here, though. <laughs> many other cultures. <laughs> Trevor Penning, Northern Iowa, comes in the top hundred. He's a better prospect than Spencer Brown was. Whoa. Spencer Brown, ridiculous athlete, freak of nature. Trevor Penning better football player that is a fantastic take there i need to watch the penning it's there you have like. it he was i mean he played left tackle instead of brown played right tackle wow covered the blind side that's still holds love to still holds weight yeah so what we have right now we have cornerback tackle what's next edge defender edge defender is a strong class came on table at the top but you got a lot of a lot of uh more i'd say polished products a lot guys who just like know how to rush the passer better mm -hmm. we were talking about last year quitty pay dafe owe um Aziz Jalen Phillips. Aziz oh, he's more of the polished ones. Like the guys who are just freaks of nature athletically, but lack actual polish. Whereas, I, I obviously, Kayvon Thibodeau is that freak of nature athletically, but he actually has some moves already. Nick Benito is incredibly polished. useful with his hands. He's very crafty. Adam Anderson from Georgia already knows what he's doing as a pass rusher. Um, but then it has some freaks as well in this class. You have Aiden Hutchinson came in number two on the freaks list. You have... Um, the Michigan edge defender. You have Zach Harrison, the Ohio State edge defender, who runs like a four-five at six-six, two-fifty. He is himself a freak. You got a lot of athletes in this class as well. So I really like this edge class. The one guy I'll highlight that I think could have a breakout year that I'm hoping, fingers crossed, Xavier Thomas from Clemson, forgotten man. Mm -hmm. You remember former five-star monster, five-star, his freshman year on that line with three first-rounders: Cleveland Furl, Dexter Lawrence. Christian Wilkins, he was, he had a, like an 86.2 pass rushing grade that year. He's a true freshman. freshman. True freshman. And they go to that 317. He's playing like 4i. He's not in a great position to succeed the next year. Kind of takes a step back. Gets COVID this past year. 
has an awful year, doesn't look like the same guy, and you're like, where is this dude? But the talent didn't go away. He reminds me just like physically, the body-wise, Brandon Graham. He's like 6'1", but like 270, and just forklifts offensive tackles. If he can put it all together, if he could show some development, this dude could be a first-rounder, but he's all the way down in the at 79 on the PFF draft board as it stands. I think the guy I like the most of this group after Thibodeau is Adam Anderson. I might even like him more than Kingsley and Agbari. I think he is legit, legit, my guy. I think in the beginning, too, and you watch early, they play him a little bit at off ball, but then when he starts to play a little full-time on the edge, I mean, this guy's – watch the Auburn game. The Auburn game – no tackle on Auburn could stick with him in their pass set. Like, he was just exploding off the line and torching awesome. him. And I also think, you know, we compare him to Inagbury. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Inagbury. His floor bull rush, like when he doesn't, like when he doesn't mm-hmm. execute like an outside move, is stronger, I'd argue, than Inagbury. Like, he has a lot, a plethora of moves. He, like, accidentally is creating pressure in a lot of the stuff that he does. I do think Adam Anderson's going to be a dog. I mean, he's one of my favorites. And you can, even, you can even add, I mean, DeMarvin Leal. He's oh, 290 pounds. You I thought probably, we were saving him. People can, people may evaluate him as an edge. He, he's, that's where he plays the Texas A&M. There's not a lot of 290-pound edges in the NFL, but like, he's got size-wise. I mean, J.J. Watt plays on the edge at 290-ish, 6'6". Like, that's, that's where you're looking at DeMarvin Leal. He's like that sort of size. He can play on the edge if you want him to, and that's what he does at Texas A&M. So if you're you know, in the edge market, he could even be on your yeah. list as well. He wears a skinny number eight, too. Mm-hmm. When you get that single-digit number, you can kind of get on board with it. But yeah. I'll save my DeMarvin Leal conversation when we get the defensive tackles here. But for Adam Anderson this past year, um, 93.0 PFF, uh, PFF grade this past year, only 86 pass rushing snaps. Like he needs to, We need to see more of it, obviously. But um, played a, a hell of a season this past year. I think Adam Anderson, six foot five, two thirty. He's going to be the name to know. We didn't even bring up some of these other guys, though. I think you really hit the nail on the head. And this group is is talented. Six, um, they had the most sixteen guys in the PFF top hundred. That's the most of any position group. I mean, you have what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, nine in the top thirty-two. Yeah, Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan. Maji Sanders is going to have a monster year for Cincinnati. And that's George Karloftis, a lunch-pale monster who's already a very, very productive player. That was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, the number two player on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. Brenton Cox Jr. I think has the best spin move in college football. And then you get to the depths of this. Even Drake Jackson for USC, Jordan Strawn for South Carolina. This is a very talented edge group. It's yeah. going to be hashtag Sam Monson. Fun to watch. Yeah. Next group. Next group, safeties. My guys. A lot of good safeties. There are probably five safeties in this class that could feasibly end up as first rounder. Like, could feasibly end up. So, Trayvon Merrick last year was the only safety we ended up with the first round grade on. I think there's five guys that I could very easily see ending up as first rounders. Kyle Hamilton, pen him in the first round. He'll, he'll be on the first round lock segment at some point this fall. Don't worry. But Jordan Battle from Alabama. Brandon Joseph from Northwestern. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Jaquan Brisker from Penn State. And Jalen Catalan from Arkansas. All five of those guys, if you told me that they are first-rounders. Really? Know, all five? Would not, would not be suppressed. Wow. Now, like, I'm, I'm not saying all five end up in the first round, but mm-hmm. all five have that caliber of talent. I think this safety two battle is going to be one I'm watching. I like battle. I think he plays a very tough position yeah. in that Alabama defense. But Brandon Joseph, man, what he did, I think, what, last He's year was sick. a true sophomore? Yes. That was, I, I honestly think Brandon Joseph might be, might be competing for that, uh, that safety, safety two. two spot. I'm excited to watch him at Northwestern. Not a lot of reasons to get excited watching Northwestern football, but Brandon Joseph is definitely one of them. Also, obviously, a friend of the pod. I haven't talked to his coach, though, Mike, so you don't get to make fun of me for that. 
Okay. So you're so you're not. That's why you just made fun of Northwestern. Yeah. Exactly. Talk to the coach. Exactly. Um, talk, next group. To, well, can I recap? Can I recap? Yeah, yeah. Recap. Corner, tackle, edge, safety. Really hitting that defense. You know, yeah. Tackle obviously entering the mix as well. But who is the fifth best? Or what is the fifth best position group here? I think that's a clear top four. And then from here, there's like a jumble mm-hmm. from the like probably like the next four position groups. I'd say are or five position groups are like interchangeable if you want to order them however you want to order them compared comparatively there's just they're all okay. haven't brought up qb they're, yet. they're all okay wide receiver is who i'd put up next I, I really like the ohio state duo and i think there's it's just deep on mid-round kind of guys 12 mm-hmm. 12 wide receivers in the top 100 i think that's kind of just the way of the world nowadays but i i, I really like i really like some of the guys who come back from injury george pickens from georgia Justin Ross from Clemson. Those guys have flashed first-round talent at times. I mean, freshman year, those guys were the best receivers on their respective teams. You know, they, they were – Justin Ross still has a PFF record for yards per route run, and that was as a true freshman back in 2018. But injuries have derailed both of them. Pickens coming off – going to be coming off an ACL if he even does play this year. Justin Ross coming off that spinal uh, fusion surgery or whatever – he did have George Pickens is hurt though, isn't he? Didn't yeah, so say he's coming off an ACL mm-hmm. towards ACL this past spring. So those two guys, the talents there to be first rounders, but not quite there yet. But to me, it's it's just it's got a lot of intriguing names and a lot of different body types in this wide receiver class. Whereas last year was the small guys, this year a few few more of the big dogs, the Traylon Burks, the Drake, the, uh, Drake Jacksons of the world. Mm-hmm. I think something interesting to look for as we talk a little bit about Georgia, you know, the injury bug has bit the fuck out of them. You know, for the first week of the season, George Pickens, Dominic Blaylock, Darnell Washington, Arik Gilbert, and Tyke Smith yeah. aren't going to be there against Clemson or, or likely aren't going to be against Clemson. And I think Clemson's only favored by three and a half. I, I, I mean, I, I, might, I might spread some ched down there. I might have to make a little play because I think Clemson, with all those losses, I mean, defense is supposed to be the strength. I'm a little nervous about that uh, for sure. But still, uh, for this receiver group, I'm obviously a huge fan of both Ohio State guys. I love Garrett Wilson. love Chris Olave. I think those guys are going to be the top dogs. And then Drake London, I'm interested to see when he moves more out of the slot how he performs. I think USC, you know, Clay Hilton said that he want to move him outside and play him a lot more outside. Um, Romeo Dubs is a favorite, probably not a first-rounder, but still a favorite. Then some of these other guys, though, that, you know, get hyped up a little bit, you know, Traylon Burks, David Bell, say Flowers. I mean, I do, I do think some of these contested catch guys are always going to be those ones I steer away from a little bit. Yeah, that's that's good college receiver. Burks to a degree, that's definitely Bell. That's yeah. like Bell's game, but yeah. You, I think you had the quote, one of the best, if not the best, at the catch that's point in college football. Yeah. Shall we get to, before next we get one. to the next position group, I got to bring up the shirts we have on. I have a sweater, I guess. I guess it's a sweatshirt. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis. Incredibly comfortable, efficiently licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is the big is in the middle of big new Saturday season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern for 16 weeks straight. They just recently released Georgia, Wisconsin, Florida. But this Saturday, we've got the Boise State Broncos. I'm wearing right now the Florida sweatshirt. I'm a huge fan. This is probably my favorite one I've got. I got Aztecs. I got Vols. I got Texas. A lot of exciting stuff. Homefield, man, really, really cool vintage college uh, college clothing there. You can also use promo code PFF. That's PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. That is promo code PFF for 15% off. Get ready for college football tailgate season. I know we're going to be rocking some apparel. Oh, I'm ready. We're going to be rocking some apparel on our tailgates here. Yeah. Maybe oh, a little yeah. Notre Dame, 
or whatever. I got some jerseys too. I got some cool, cool jerseys for the trip. I'm excited. All right, let's jump to the next position group here. What do you have after um, wide receiver? I got quarterback. Now you don't. There's no Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields coming into their final year. It's like that guy, no matter what, going to be a dude. Really? Not I, even I Rattler. I don't think Rattler's at the level at those two were coming in. Um, I think anyone that's in this top 100, besides, honestly, besides Keaton Slovis, can be the number one overall pick. I just don't think Keaton Slovis is going to be with tools-wise. But you have Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma quarterback at one, Sam Howell, North Carolina quarterback at seven, Malik Willis, Liberty quarterback at 16, Slovis obviously at 19, USC quarterback, Carson Strong, Nevada QB at 37, and then Matt Corral, Ole Miss QB at 68, and Phil Yurkovich, Boston College QB at 87. Like all those guys have tools. Again, besides Slovis, uh, <laughs> again I keep saying that. But all those guys have like arm talent for days. Corral, my is right up there with him. Even though he's six one two oh five, he does not look like it. He's almost like uh, who was the Billy Wagner, the old Astros pitcher who would throw gas at like five ten. It's like <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't look like he should be able to have a cannon. But then the ball just explodes out of his arm. So I think all those guys have, like I said, that arm talent and the have flashed that sort of ability to be drafted highly i don't think any of them again rattlers qb1 just because i think he offers that the way the game's going that out of structure that just creativity playmaking ability on a different level than any of these other guys Mm -hmm. but malik Malik willis gets like cleans up his footwork gets a little more in structure cleans up his accuracy and he's the number one overall pick you know phil jerkovich even boston college i was talking with uh eric alco and he said he's that might be his QB one when it's all said and done. Like that, there's guys, these guys are Carson Strong is low key. I'm want to move him up my board every time I watch him because the guy is just so visually appealing. The way he throws the football, it's just such a tight spiral and like the way he gets out, such a quick release and the way he looks throws the it looks the part. Um, so it's a it's a hashtag fun to watch quarterback class, but it is a flawed quarterback class at the moment. I, th- I think the, you know, Eric Galco, you bring him up. He is the, what, the scouting director for the, the East West Shrine, Go- uh, Shrine Bowl. He is which, all- we were proud partners with. Which we are now the official analytics. I think the official data partner. Scouting data, scouting data partner of Dang. East West Shrine. We're probably going to make out, make our way out to Vegas. Might have to, just to see how it is. If, if I have to. If I have to make the trip, we'll make the trip. Um, I'm, I'm excited for this group. I think uh, what, what stands out to me is you talk about, we talked about the Teddy Bridgewater situation and Denver passed on Justin Fields. It's like, hey, you know, yeah, maybe they'll play themselves into purgatory, but, you know, there's always that opportunity to pass on Justin Fields. No, there's not. You know, there are quarterback classes that are significantly worse than last year's. Last year's was definitely an outlier in terms of the talent. I mean, how often do you see five quarterbacks go in the first round? I mean, you just don't. It's not, it's not as often as you saw last year. And I don't think you're going to see that with this class. Um, I think, obviously, too early. Quarterback class, a lot has made in the last year, but still, um, that is the early signs. What do you have next? After QB, go interior offensive line. At this point, we can kind of just run through these. I, I, interior offensive line, there's, there's some interesting tackle interior converts obviously Thayer Munford we talked about the Ohio State guy has already guy. moved on the interior uh Ike Mikwanu Iki Ikwanu, the North NC State uh tackle slash more than likely on the interior Tyler Lindebaum the best center prospect that we've ever scouted here in the last seven years he's going to be he might end up on the first round lock segment when it's all said and done Uh-oh. even though he's an interior off the lineman that's obviously you know rarely a lock he's just that good 
So that's how I'm surprised. I'm so so moving off an interior offensive lineman. We talked about Linderbaum a ton on the show. Um, obviously, Ike Kwanu had the highest run blocking grade I think of any returning offensive tackle this past season for NC State. But linebacker, I thought linebacker was going to be a little bit higher. I know you like some of these guys at the top. N'Kobe Dean of Georgia, Christian Harris, Alabama, and Mike Jones of LSU are all ranked inside the top 40. And then even you talked about Devin Lloyd Devin as a potential um, Nagurski Award winner. Where are you at with so this linebacker? five group? top 75 guys. Seven in the top 100. I guess that's solid. Enough. That's why I said that these are the positions that are interchangeable at mm-hmm. this point. So uh, linebacker has, I'd say two to three possible first rounders at the moment which i guess that's solid for a linebacker class tight end i don't see any first rounders in this tight end class but i think you'll have five or six guy, guys littered over day two jalen Wimmer, the texas a&m tight end jeremy rucker at the ohio state tight end who's in my opinion the best blocking tight end in the country coming back so i i, I don't think it's a bad tight end class comparatively to was two years ago that was just poop where you're like the <laughs> The Patriots are doubling up on Devin Asiasi and Devin Asiasi is running with the fours right now. And there, yeah, he's that the guy was 280 pounds this last year at Michigan or no UCLA because he transferred to Michigan. That was no Belichick knows more than us, um, but it was a bad pick. Uh, and then ru- I don't I don't think it's running back class is that great though. That's the one. running back and defense tackle are the two classes where I'm like these don't look like good classes. This reminds those me are the last of two position groups. Right? Last two position groups. What was the year? Whatever year, Miles Sanders. It was Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Daryl Henderson that mm-hmm. year. This kind of reminds me of that year running back class-wise, where it's just like, man, you might not see a lot of guys go high. You got Brees Hall, the Iowa State running back. You got Isaiah Spiller, the Texas A&M running back. But that might be – we might be done with the second round, and that might be it for running backs. Mm-hmm. I just don't think there's a lot of guys who are really separating themselves talent-wise. Let's go to running back class. and then close with defensive tackle. Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, both ranked inside the top 50. And then after that, I loved your list because I feel like you fit in a lot of just running backs that are just fun to fucking watch. <laughs> like you put in at the back end here Kyron Williams, Notre Dame, who runs oh, yeah. like a dump truck. And then Tyler Algier is very similar to that. He runs – he gets on the that train guy, tracks and does not stop. Algier is got like – some he's going to be you know everyone cakes their pants over thigh pictures mm-hmm. that's going to be Tyler Algier and when I think those thigh pictures actually have run on OnlyFans now <laughs> AJ Dillon's we should start our own thigh the thigh guys I like that I'll think about it but yeah Algier of BYU and Kyron Williams of Notre Dame fit into the top 100 and then some other guys as well Jerion Ely Ole Miss Zonovan Knight I think he has a very you know Zonovan Knight is one of the um returning running backs with some of the highest broken tackle rate highest yards after contact um percentage of any running back for defensive tackle can we talk more about demarvin leal i mean he is whether you play him at defensive end or defensive tackle is a monster he's what six foot five 280 290 and there's a couple of screen passes against vandy you know what i'm talking about where he he comes off and like is able to change direction and just lay out these guys yeah he moves in space like he's 220 I mean, he moves in space better than some of the other edges we have. Like, I, mean, I even like going back to last year's class. Like, I honestly think here's the take. Here's the social graphic. You know, everyone talks about Kayvon Thibodeau. I think Leal could legitimately be the first defensive player off the board ahead of Thibodeau. Ooh. I think that's how good he is. Well, Obviously, Thibodeau is a freak, but I, I I like a lot of what I see from Leal. I think that's going to be a race that's close to maybe people think. You know, I literally said that on the podcast. I think. Did you? Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> I oh, think wow. I did. Okay, well then. Like earlier, like last May, I'm like, everyone's talking about Thibodeau, but I think Leal could be the first. Well, fair enough. I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement. After <laughs> that, going back and watching That's like more. watching Leal's. That's, what, that's the Leal tape experience. It, yeah. it is. He has some freaky plays on tape. Like at 290, 
I would guess he runs in the four sevens. Like he's that explosive. He's that type of athlete. I gotta get him on the pod. So excited to see what he does for an encore here. Texas A&M has a lot of prospects uh, for sure this year. Last few defensive but, tackles. But the defense tackle group is sus. Not great. Sus. Was that like a 10-year-old term? Suspect. Jordan Davis, defensive tackle, Georgia. Jermaine Lole, Arizona State. Travis Jones, UConn. Haskell Garrett, who's like 25 at Ohio State. Logan Hall, defensive tackle at Houston. Perrion Winfrey, Oklahoma. Those are some of the other guys as well. Isn't Jordan Davis – I mean, Jordan Davis is largely a run defender, though, right? I mean, some of these guys are – you know, Devondre yeah. Sweat fits into the back 100, another, like, really big monster run defender. But yeah. are there any, like, legitimate interior pass rushers this year? Maybe maybe Lole. Lole, yeah. Lole I like as an interior pass rusher. Perrion Winfrey could, the Oklahoma DT. He was – we talked about him. He was his first year out of JUCO um, at Oklahoma last year. Doesn't really have pass rushing moves, but you can tell he's a high-level athlete. He's a powerful dude at, like, 290, can penetrate – he just adds like one move. He could be a problem there for Oklahoma. I will say Travis Jones, if I'm who I'm most excited to watch this year, Connecticut defense tackle. He missed all of last year because Connecticut just, you know, imploded their program with COVID. They didn't play. Imploded their program with COVID. He had pass rushing and run defense grades in the eighties his last year, true sophomore. They said he's completely remade his body. He was three thirty six. And now it's 330, but he's completely, he's lost a lot. Like his body fat percentage has dropped a ton. Um, and he is a, like, everyone's hyping up Jordan Davis, Georgia DT. I wouldn't be surprised if Travis Jones is better this year. Wow. The UConn defense tackle. He's, he's a horse, and he's going to be playing this weekend. Not we a lot to, of reason to we got, turn on UConn, Tate. We got three, I believe, three, uh, three guys in this list playing this weekend. We got him. Mm-hmm. We got San Jose State Edge, Viliami Fihoko. And I believe we have the – oh, gosh, names eluding me. Let me look at the top 100 right now. The offensive tackle slash guard from UCLA, Sean Ryan. He plays left tackle for UCLA. He is – checks in at 89th on the big board. So we got 53 overall, Travis Jones. We got, uh, I believe, oh, where's Poco? 64 overall, Fahoko. And then 89, Sean Ryan. Check him out. UConn is also 27-and-a-half-point dogs traveling to Fresno State. So well, that's because they, they don't know about Travis Jones. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the line has not adjusted for Travis Jones on that side of the ball. No. An interesting week zero slate. We're obviously going to be at Nebraska, Illinois. Illinois plus seven at home, plus 216 on the money line. Calling it interesting was kind. Yeah. It's, it's cheeks. It's, it's not, not cheeks. It's, it's like college football, the, baby. I'm just saying, as, as far as I, – okay, I know it's college football. You know I love college football. I watched goddamn Central Arkansas play – Who'd they play? Austin P. Last yeah, year, yeah. I watched a full Central hot. Arkansas Austin P. Game. We were I, at we were at the bar, I think, for that. <laughs> and so obviously, I'm excited for it. But I could have used a nice like, you know, I could have used Clemson Georgia this week. Oh, been. could you? Could you have used Clemson Georgia? The I think right now ranked the number two and number four ranked teams in college football according to PFF. Would you like that in week zero? No. We're going to be watching UConn, Fresno State, Hawaii, UCLA, and UTEP, New Mexico State at 9.30 p.m. ET, by the way. If you're not up watching New Mexico State take on UTEP as 10-point dogs at home, what the fuck are you doing? All right. That's it for this episode of the Tailgate Podcast for now. Wait, we got we to toss the tri- tri- trivia. Oh, my gosh. The trivia. I forgot. Max Chadwick, producer on Tailgate. Put together some trivia questions. We got a trivia segment that's going to happen every Thursday during the season. Trivia segment every Thursday during the season to submit your questions. You can leave them in an Apple Podcast review. Those will get priority. However, if you want them quicker, follow PFF underscore Tailgate on Twitter. 
and shoot them a DM with your question. We'll funnel those in, and Max will help us set this up and get them asked on the pod here. I'm going to open up and ask the Ooh, questions. Wait, here. I'm going to ask you one quick question. Who had the most prospects in the PFF Top 100? Which school? Georgia. Close. They had six. Bama? Bama also had six. One school had seven, though. And this kind of blew my mind when I was going through because they lost a lot of talent to the NFL. But I'm not sure who. Blue Bloods reload. So Ohio State, they got seven. Oh, wow. Yeah, I should have said Ohio State. State. Seven. That's on me. All right, this is going to be the trivia. I don't have the answers to this. Okay. Trivia segment sponsored by Max Chadwick's mom. How are we going to find the answers? Is Max no, gonna... Max is going to send us the answers. He's listening live. Okay, thank Live you. via satellite. All right. Number one, name the last non-five quarterbacks to be taken first overall. Okay. I can probably do that. Do Not. it. Um, it's going to be Miles Garrett, Jadamian Clowney, um, Eric Fisher. Uh, Come on. Fuck. Say it with your chest. Oh, man, we're going back then now. Um, Jake Long. Come and, on. Oh, God, I keep going back. Uh, Michael. Did you say your own name? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> thinking. How far back do I have to go now? Um, was it? Do I have to go that far back? It's one more. You got one more. 2006. Oh, 2006? Okay, I don't have to go that far back. It Come was... on. Mario Williams. Nice. That's well done. That's well done. There we go. I, I, was, gonna, I was thinking Cody I Brown. I was going too far back. Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, Eric Fisher. Because if we went back to 2008 with Jake Long, I was 12 years old. Okay. That would have been a little tough. All right, number two, Kyle Hamilton is currently, so Notre Dame safety, is currently PFF's number four ranked player on the 2022 NFL draft board. There hasn't been a safety drafted in the top five since this player in 2010. Ooh, 2010. Max coming out with some heat on these questions. I'm trying to think 2010. Again, I was okay, 14. I, I know that was the Bradford draft. So, no, wait, was that 09? Shit. Earl Thomas. No. No? He was 11, I want to say. Uh oh come on. How am I not Oh, this one's tough. I got the answer from Max. Oh. Three. Two. One, just give me a hit. One. Chiefs. Eric Berry. Nice. Fuck, I'm so bad. Number three. Three schools are tied to have tied for having the most number one overall picks with five. Name the schools. Oh, that one I'm not gonna know. That one's ridiculous. That one's I, I think USC is one of them. Okay. All right. Uh I'm going to go Oklahoma. So okay. they had like three in the last decade. Yeah. Um, last one. USC, Oklahoma. And I'll say. You're a piece of shit if you don't get this. Really? It's that easy? Notre Dame? Yeah. Hey, there we go. Is that it? Yeah, Let's Notre Dame. Let's USC, go. Oklahoma, Notre Dame. Four. In the 2021 PFF draft guide, which wide receiver was compared to Justin Blackman? I know. I'm trying to think. I, I remember it was one of the top guys. You got to answer that one because yeah. I did it. Gosh darn it. 2021. Jamar Chase. Yeah, Jamar Chase. Was. Jamar Chase was listed. Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right. That was that was a tough one because I think a lot of people hated you for that. Yeah, oh, everyone's like, oh. But maybe you're right. I mean, here are these drops. <laughs> you might be right. If, if I see him out at the bar before a game. I'll... All right, number five. Oh, Tailgate is headed to Champaign to see Illinois take on Nebraska this weekend. Name the last first-round pick from each school. Hint, Nebraska's was 2011, and Illinois had two in 2012. Only two have only have to name one each. Corey Legit and A.J. Jenkins. 
We're both Illinois. We're both Illinois. Legit, Corey Legit used to stand outside uh, his dorm and sell two legit to quit shirts with his name. That's lit, though. <laughs> I he know, has right? a sweet name. Nebraska was what, 2011? 2011. Um, Again, these Adam, are, these Adam are too deep, Adam Carriker, I'm guessing. Adam Carriker. That's so. What are the answers, Max? He's sending them? Who knows? Oh, it was uh, Nebraska was Prince of Mukamura, oh, 2011. Wow. And Illinois was Whitney Merciless and AJ Jenkins. 2012. Oh, wasn't Corey Legit and AJ Jenkins? Dude, those are tough, man. I was not even, I was still in high school, just you know, fucking around. I, I need some yeah. more recent questions. I'm a child. I'm a child, Max. Those, those were good questions. Those were great questions, but I'm a child. All right, oh, this Carrick is goes 2007. I suck. The last one here. The last one. It's a know your co-host question. I have one about me. You have one about yourself. Okay. I'll go first. Word for word, what does my tattoo say? Oh, okay. I was I was literally telling this to someone the other day, and I didn't get it right. Yeah, I know. It's it said, it says. Actually, I can't cook, and I am opening up a restaurant. Close, and I am starting a restaurant. Starting a restaurant. You're close. You're close. You're close. You're close. Where's your question? Uh, my question. Oh, is it in the? Where do I? Where am I looking here? I don't know. Max. Max just send it to you. Max, send it to me, Max. Oh no. Oh no. Check your Slack. I'm in Slack. Oh no, Max, shitting the bed. He had. It was ten for ten before this. Uh, okay, mine is within hundred points. How many points did I score in my high school basketball career? <laughs> <laughs> Within 100 points? You got you to widen that to cast. And I'll give you a hint. I did lead my high school all-time leading scorer. So. Oh, my God. You're the high school all-time leading scorer? Yeah. Some, actually, some uh, dingus passed me like two years ago. But at I'm the gonna time say, I retired. I'm going to say 620. 1,519. Oh, that's how many fucking points you scored? That's crazy. How many games do you even play? <laughs> I played four years. Uh, man, well, good for you, dog. That was freaking awesome. Well, that was all a fun right. segment. We'll have to continue to do that. Make sure you send your questions. Max doesn't have to come with all these. Uh, follow the Twitter account, PFF underscore tailgate, or, or you'll get priority. You leave an Apple podcast review and all that stuff. Let's go ahead and jump now to the interviews with head coach Michigan State Mel Tucker and Wake Forest head coach Dave Cross. Now joining the tailgate podcast is current Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker. Coach, it's great to have you on the show. Really appreciate the time. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Where I'd like to start is honestly the quarterback room. Uh, I'd love to hear kind of what your early impressions are of the Temple transfer, Anthony Rousseau, and also kind of the development of Richard sophomore Peyton Thorne. Yeah, Rousseau is a he's an experienced quarterback. You know, he's played a lot of games. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's a guy that loves to stand in the pocket, loves to step up in the pocket, deliver the ball. He can make all the throws. He has a very strong arm. You know, he's a football guy. He loves it. He lives it. And uh, he's picked up our offense, and he's a really good teammate. He's a good leader. I like him a lot. Peyton Thorne, you know, he's a coach's son. You know, he's he's been here a couple of a couple of seasons. He knows our offense. Um, he's a very mobile quarterback. He's a very good leader. You know, he's he's ultra competitive, just like Rousseau. Uh, you know, a good teammate. Um, you know, both of those guys are doing a great job for us, and and uh, I, I trust I, I trust him. And shifting to the running back room, some more kind of transfers there. Two transfers in the mix, Kenneth Walker from Wake Forest and Harold Joyner from Auburn. They joined Elijah Collins, who I know uh, battled COVID last year, and that was largely you know, a big reason why maybe he didn't have the production people thought. But that, that running, group, running back room loaded now with these transfers. I guess I'd be interested to hear you know, what your expectations are for this group and also kind of who you expect to be that lead dog in the backfield. Yeah, well, you know, we want to play multiple backs. We want to be able to keep guys fresh. We need to be able to run the ball on our terms, you know, when we want to run it, when we need to run it. 
Um, you know, obviously, you know, Kenneth Walker is a is an outstanding player. You know, he came in right away and showed that he was a difference maker. You know, Elijah has has come back strong uh, this other season. He's had a, a really good spring ball, had a really good camp so far. Um, I'm like what I'm seeing from him. You know, obviously, Hero Joiner um, coming in from Auburn. You know, as a taller guy, as a you know, as a six three type guy. Um, you know, really good hands out of the backfield. Uh, he's a long strider, but you know he covers a lot of ground, and he's he's shown that he can run behind his pass. Um, and you know Jordan Simmons uh, is a, a freshman, as uh, a sophomore, he played as a true freshman for us a, a year ago. Um, and uh, Donovan England also has shown up to be you know a, a big back, and and Davion Prim, a freshman that, that has come in, has impressed us in the scrimmages. And so um, we're going to play multiple multiple backs, but I feel like we're deeper at that position now. Uh, and more competitive. I think Elijah Collins, his story and his 2020 season is a good jumping point to kind of discuss just how much COVID impacted your, your, your first year at Michigan State. You were hired on from Colorado in February 2019, had little opportunity to really make this transition from Colorado to Michigan State. I, I think you only had, what, a couple weeks to, to jump on the recruiting trail and then four practices over Zoom, and you're already coaching there at Michigan State. A lot of <laughs> picking up the pieces. And I think something I saw you speak to in an interview recently is just how, how you – how you weren't able to really develop the culture and how you practice and all these different things. How much has that changed now with a much more normal offseason, even though we're not completely normal, a much more normal offseason? Yeah, it's just, it's nine day. Um, we, you know, we've been able to shift the culture here to, into what, you know, what we want it to be, what we feel like it needs to be to, you know, play at a, and compete at a championship level. Uh, we know our players uh, a lot better now. Um, they know what, the standards are and what's expected. We've been able to get uh, an entire out of season conditioning program in. You know, we had a great, you know, eight or nine weeks in the winter conditioning with Coach Novak and his staff, um, also with Amber Reinstein and and her and as our head uh, dietitian for football only. Um, she's uh, you know, between those two, they've really helped transform our our team, you know, physically. Um, we've had an excellent spring practice where we were able to really get our schemes in, really uh, lay our foundation of uh, being best conditioned, you know, with technique and fundamentals, playing smart, playing fast, and playing physical. Uh, and then our summer program has, has been outstanding. And it's really, um, you can see some of the before and after pictures some of our guys have posted on social media. Um, you know, we, we've really taken advantage of the time that we've had, you know, to shift the culture, you know, to really connect with our players and really, uh, build this football team and I, I like what I've seen so far from our guys in fall camp that's fantastic to hear coach I'm glad you've been finally given that opportunity there at Michigan State I want to transition now to the wide receiver room which is an obvious obvious strength for this Michigan State team you know Jalen Reed and Jalen Knight Jalen Naylor returning 2020 after really really good 2020 campaigns how have that to have those two taken to Rousseau and that developing relationship and I guess what are your expectations for that duo in 2021 well I'll tell you what um you know those uh, Jay Reed and, and Speedy Naylor are very good players um and uh you know they're they're good teammates uh, they they do everything for us everything that we ask them to do we talk about no block no rock and and they're they're not afraid to go in there and mix it up and and uh and do a great job you know blocking for in the run game or on, a, in, on the perimeter in our bubble and screen game things like that they, they get after it obviously they have speed they can win one-on-one -on -one. Um, you know, short, intermediate, and deep throws. 
Um, they're, they're legit weapons, and and uh, they've taken well to to our to all of our quarterbacks. I mean, whether it's Russo or Thorne or you know Noah Kim or or uh, or any Captain Faye, any, any of those guys, um, you know, they do what they're asked to do, and they they practice they practice really hard, and they're emerging as leaders on our team. Defensively, I know Antoine Simmons was a massive leader and presence both on and off the field for Michigan State, and now kind of having to replace him by committee with a handful of stars on defense. Who has kind of stepped up as that you know, vocal and on-field leader for you guys on that side of the ball? Yeah, well, Noah Harvey has played a lot of football for us uh, as of late, and, and, and uh, you know, he, he knows what's expected. You know, Q Crouch has come in as a, as a transfer, um, is really um, – you know, brought some athleticism and some some real uh, explosiveness and and, uh, and some, some sideline sideline ability. You know, uh, Van Summer has come in from the school down the road. You know, he's a, he's a he's an excellent athlete. He's very instinctive. Um, and you know, Cal Halliday, the body man, uh, going into his second year with us, has really shown that you know he can pack a punch and you know on contact. You know, get off the of blocks and find the ball. Along with Ma, um, we are true freshman. Um, that this is coming here and showing that he's very instinctive and can get to the ball. So um, we're, we're, we're much more, um, we have much more depth at that position right now. Um, even, even a lot more than we even had um, in, uh, in spring ball. And so uh, feel better about that position. It's competitive. Um, and, uh, you know, guys are competing like, like heck to get on the field. I'm sure another position group where you saw seeing a surge in competitiveness is the secondary. It was an obvious priority for your staff to go out and upgrade at that position, bringing in transfers like Ronald Williams, Chester Kimbrough, Marky Lowry. Um, you know, how, how has that, you know, all those new faces in the secondary kind of taken to the Michigan State brand of football? And also a standout from last year, Kalen Gervin, how has he kind of progressed and developed as kind of that mainstay there? Yeah, you know what I like about that group of guys is that they're they're very competitive and they're not not afraid to uh, of contact. You know, they're they're uh, they're very willing tacklers. Um, they understand perimeter run support, uh, primary run support, and secondary run support, and um, and they and they're not afraid to get after it, which is which is critical because you got to be able to support the run, got to be able to get off blocks, um, and they're willing to do that. Obviously. Um, you know, athletically, um, we have more guys that can they can play tight coverage, which is very important. We can stay on top of receivers. Um, we can we can uh, we can deny some throws, um, you know, based upon the situation. Um, and we have more we have guys that can play multiple positions. You know, Gerv is Gerv has got a lot of experience, um, and so you know he's kind of a veteran uh, at, at that position. But obviously, Ronald, you know, uh, coming in and along with. Uh, Along with Chester and, and Marquis, um, you know, I really like what I'm seeing from Booth. Really, uh, a true freshman. Really like what I'm seeing from from uh, from Charles, from Chuck Brantley. You know, true freshman guys that are really, uh, really dialed in uh, to competing and you know, learning what to do. And and uh, I, I believe with uh, as we continue to improve, I believe that our that we'll be able to have a, a strong secondary that has some depth. 
couple more questions for you, Coach, and I'll let you go. It's fantastic that, you know, when you talk about this secondary group, the first thing you bring up is physicality and run support, getting off blocks. You're a former defensive back yourself, has coached defensive backs both in the at the college level and the NFL for a long time. You know, I've talked to a handful of college football coaches on this podcast about, you know, what what's coachable and what's not at different positions. And I think for the for the cornerback position or I guess the secondary as a whole, what do you feel is kind of that prerequisite for cornerbacks to be, you know, high level talents at the college and NFL level? And where do you feel like any quarterback or any secondary player has the most opportunity to improve with coaching? Yeah, I believe the, the players obviously have to be able to run. They have to be able to change direction, uh, play man coverage, you know, be willing tacklers and play the ball in the deep part of the field and have back some ball skills. And that's, that's what you need to be a good defensive back. I believe that if you can teach a player can learn, you know, all phases of the game, you know, um, can be improved. All of the guys that we bring here obviously have the talent. Um, as long as they're coachable, that we can we can improve, we can help them improve in, in all phases. I mean, um, whether it's uh, con, you know, contact, you know, delivering a blow, you know, blow delivery, and having to get some contact confidence and contact courage, or you know, leveraging and, and tackling, whether it's uh, man coverage or zone coverage, uh, you know, things like that. Um, you know, the, you know, all that can be all that can be taught, um, and and those are the fundamentals of the game and. We want. We tell our corners we don't. You know, we don't want just cover guys. We want. You know. We need all. You know. You know. Complete corners. You know. Guys that um, can hold up and 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 win one on one in the run game and, and give us great uh, perimeter per, perimeter support. Whether it's primary, secondary, we need guys that can cover man or zone, um, and guys that can run all day. You know, be hyper competitive in doing that. So um, this group of guys is. Uh, it's a, it's a fun group to watch. Um, it's a fun group to coach, and um, I'm really excited about how they're coming together. Lastly, I'd be interested in your take on you know the new flexibility around the transfer rules in the NCAA. It's obvious that Michigan State has leveraged them with Rousseau, that running back room, and that secondary. How do you feel your approach has changed with that flexibility? And also, how do you feel that these rules will affect kind of NCAA the NCAA long term? Well, um, I, you know, we embrace, you know, all, all of the changes. You have to be able to adjust, adapt and adjust, and, and we've done that. You know, we want to build our team through the through the high school ranks. You know, I've said that several times and starting in our state first. Um, but we're going to use the portal, you know, to complement our roster. Uh, it's very similar to, you know, my 10 years I spent in the National Football League. You know, obviously uh, you want to build through the draft, um, but you're going to use free agency to uh, – the field needs and 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 uh, where you can you know bring in different makers, um, but the core of what we're going to what we're going to be doing um, in the future is going to be through the high school ranks. Um, but you know we're 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 set up efficiently and effectively to you know to uh, to deal in the, with the high school players and also with the transfers and the JUCO guys. Coach, we really appreciate the time. This has been fantastic, and I wish you the best of luck this upcoming season. Thanks for having me. Go Green. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Wake Forest head coach Dave Klassen. Dave, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on, Austin. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to work with you here. We at PFF, there's a lot of buzz around Wake Forest in the office. We feel really confident in the team's passing game this upcoming season. And obviously that all starts with Sam Hartman. I know he's coming off a, you know, a bad taste in his mouth after that bowl game. Had a really, really successful start to the 2020 campaign. And then that bowl game, some some interceptions there, three in the fourth quarter. I'm sure he's looking to bounce back from that. How has he progressed this offseason, I guess, set the, you know, set the tone or set expectations for Hartman entering 2021? 
Well, he's had a, a really interesting career here, Austin. He came in here in 2018 as a true freshman and he won the job and, uh, you know, played okay. Uh, you know, being a true freshman quarterback is always challenging. And then he got hurt and we had a quarterback, Jamie Newman, that really played well and ended up beating Sam out in 19. And so we were able to redshirt Sam in 19 and he got the starting job a year ago and, and really played well. Uh, took care of the football, made good decisions, made some plays with his feet. Um, and then just the bowl game was, you know, one of those things that uh, through a, a number of picks in a very short period of time that was uncharacteristic. Uh, so that left with a bad taste in his mouth, but he's worked hard. Uh, he had a really good spring. He's had a good camp. I think he's very comfortable with the supporting cast and the receivers and the running backs we have. So I, I think he's poised to have a really good year for us. Where do you feel is the biggest opportunity for him to improve entering 2021? Obviously looking at the, the full body of work, you know, even since his true freshman season, I guess there's, there's obviously been a lot of areas where he's developed, but entering 2021, where do you think he can make the biggest jump? Well, I, I think sometimes maybe extending plays and um, when we can protect and Sam has time and can go through progressions. He's an extremely effective quarterback. I thought last year he made really good strides of making decisions when he left the pocket. Um, but that's the area of his game that I think he can keep working on and getting better at. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think that's that's obviously an area we see him you know, improving as well. For the receiver position, an elephant in the room is obviously Jakari Robertson. He was on this podcast. He's one of the more talented ACC receivers. I remember when I was talking to him, he said he's competing you know, in the ACC to be the best receiver in the ACC, if not the best receiver in the country. How is um, his, his offseason gone, in your, in your opinion? I mean, he just gets better. Uh, when we recruited Jakari, he was, I think, I don't know, 155 pounds, 157 pounds, and but he was a, a six, seven, six, eight high jumper. Uh, we had him in camp and he was very coachable, uh, explosive. And we just knew he was a guy that if we could red shirt and football was important to, and that's been a really productive position for us since we've been here. Uh, you know, Tabari Hines and Greg Dorch and Kendall Hinton. Uh, so it's been a productive profession uh, position for us. And Ja'Cory last year stepped right in and had a really good year. But I always think as a player, it's the second year that you play a lot that you really develop. You know, the first year, you're just happy to be playing and we're happy when you make plays. And now the second year, you, you take what you've learned that first year as a player and you fine tune your game. And whether it's releases, recognizing coverage, uh, making contested catches, become a, a firmer perimeter blocker. Uh, I think those are all the things that he still needs to work on. And uh, from what I've seen in camp, he's done that. Speak to his inside-outside versatility and how you want to leverage him. Is his role going to change significantly from his 2020 season, if at all? Well, I, I don't know if his role is going to change um, because of what he's done and how productive he's been. Um, you know, he's a guy that we definitely want to get the football to, but the nature of our offense. And as you know, we have a very unique offense here. Um, I always say it's, it's triple option offense out of sexier formations. <laughs> and, you know, when we run our RPO series, uh, you know, whoever gets the single coverage is, is going to have a chance to make plays with the ball. 
And what I would expect this year is because of the year Ja'Cory had, he's probably going to draw a little bit more attention, which is going to open up opportunities for other players. And if we can execute the way we need to, then the opportunities will come back to him. Yeah, from PFF standards, he was you know, number two among all FBS receivers in receiving grade and also top six in yards per out run efficiency that you just rarely see from um, or you'd love to see from Ja'Cory Robinson. You have some other really talented receivers at, uh, um, at Wake Forest as well. Taylor Morin is a guy that we feel could be a legitimate breakout candidate this upcoming season and also Donovan Green. There's depth at that position in addition to Ja'Cory I think a lot of people don't know about. Well, unfortunately, Donovan's not going to play this year. He had a... Uh... In the summer, he had a, right. knee, a knee injury. Uh, but you're right, Taylor Morin, very quietly last year, had a great year for us. And we have three other outside receivers that we're very excited about. Uh, Torian Perry has gotten better every year. I think he's ready to really step up and uh, be, become a, a really good, consistent player for us. Uh, Donald Stewart is a, a transfer from Stanford who we had last year. And because of COVID, we get him for another year. Uh, he's gotten better and is starting to make a lot of plays in camp. And Jamal Banks is a, a younger guy who has a, a really high ceiling. He's working hard. Uh, he's making contested catches. He's gotten faster. And those three guys, along with Taylor, uh, can all play the outside positions. Uh, and then Keyshawn Williams is a, a young guy that played a little bit last year for us that uh, I think can be a really productive slot receiver first as well. So, uh, you know, even though we've lost some good players and we don't have Donovan, we think we have really good depth at receiver here this year. A couple more questions for you, Coach, before I let you go. really appreciate the time. In the trenches, you know, doing some research, you see just how much experience you have both along the offensive line and defensive line, multiple, you know, four-year, five-year, even six-year players when you look at some of the defensive linemen you have available. How do you leverage that experience to turn those, you know, those position groups into a legitimate strength? And also, do you feel it's going to be a difference maker for you guys in this, you know, wing, you know, wing T sexy in different sexy formations? Do you feel like it's going to be a real difference maker for you guys having that experience? Well, I think on the offensive line where the experience helps is we have guys who are strong. Uh, last year, because of COVID, the pandemic, you know, our guys weren't able to lift weights for four and a half months. Uh, this year, we got winter training. They were able to lift in the summer. Uh, we have a bunch of older guys on the O-line. We have a six-year tight end. Uh, we have three fifth-year O-linemen, a couple of fourth-year guys. And these are all very, very strong, older offensive linemen. So uh, I hope we can run the ball better, maybe against tougher looks. Uh, a lot of our run game has always been predicated on the RPO series and getting the numbers in the box right. But to be a really effective offense, at times you got to run it against unfriendly looks. And I'm hoping our strength on the O-line uh, will allow us to do that with our experience. And then on defense, uh, you know, we don't have six-year guys. We've got seventh-year guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, Miles Fox, who was, who was an all-conference player a year ago, this is his seventh year. Uh, Suleiman Kamara, this is his sixth year. And then guys like Rondell Bothroyd, Ja'Cory Johns, a Michigan transfer, uh, Luigi Villan, uh, I think is really going to help us. And we've got a really young defensive end by the name of Jasheen Davis uh, that I think when the year's over, a lot of people are going to know his name. Last one here. 
Kalen Carson, cornerback there on the defensive side of the ball, someone we feel is one of your best defenders there at Wake Forest. And and he had a really good season this past year, but you also have a lot of talent in the secondary. Speak to Carson's expectations for this upcoming year as he kind of is that young developing player for you guys and also the overall depth you have in the secondary. Well, the, the amazing thing about Kalen um, is, you know, we had lost two guys, we had lost two guys that are pros, you know, Asang Bassey uh, is with the Broncos and, Amari Henderson was with the Jaguars and the, and the Vikings. Uh, so that last year, you know, we were concerned about that position. And uh, really, I, I, our top corner is probably a guy, Jasir Taylor, who's going into his fifth year. Uh, but Kalen Carson last year as a true freshman, really played well. He covered people, competed. Uh, and what's even more amazing is he missed all of training camp Uh, he like twice ended up as part of contact tracing. And I think missed 21 days or 24 days of training camp last year. So he's experienced. Uh, I think he's more prepared this year. Um, And he's, he's got a great upside as well. So we, we feel the corner position, uh, you know, in two years, two years ago, we had two pros. I, I wouldn't be surprised at some point if both these guys aren't pros. Fantastic stuff, coach. I really appreciate the time and I wish you the best of luck this upcoming season. Thanks, Austin. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for including me and Wake Forest in your uh, your interviews. What a jam-packed episode, my guy. This was fucking fun. The tailgate continues to deliver. We are going to deliver. Next time you hear us, we're going to be fresh off the boat, Nebraska at Illinois, and we're going to be prepping for... I don't think you can say fresh off the boat. I don't think you can say fresh off the boat, but we're going to be prepping for our next tailgate, which will be Oregon at Ohio State in Columbus. Yes, sir. September 11th. We might have some tailgate gear. Them. Oh, yeah. Some We're going to have some tailgate gear. We're going to have some merch. Be on the lookout for that. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. All the support helps there. Until next time, Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, producer Max Chadwick, Mike Renner, Tailgate Podcast.